0: Good to see all your smiling faces. Come on, smile. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. See if my earring will take kindly to the mic. Jesus, I just know that there is no way I could have constructed this by myself. I, there are times when you show up with me in my office, and it feels like there's a breeze blowing. And I, I can't write fast enough. I'm afraid I'm gonna miss something. And so, God, would you breathe on this that you and I have prepared together? And, and Father, I, I'm, I'm just believing for breakthrough in people's lives today. And I, I, I ask God that You would um, break down and destroy any barrier to growth in each and every heart this morning. I come against obstacles. I come against uh, anything that would raise itself up up against this word that I feel is so from you, God. And we welcome you to move at will. You're a good God. You're faithful. Thank you. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> a young boy in Korea was a houseboy for some American soldiers. Sometimes they thought it was funny to play harmless jokes on him. They'd tease him. They would tie his shoestrings together. They'd lock him out of the house. Eventually, they realized that their practical jokes were not viewed as funny by the boy, so they apologized. He said, That's okay, I'll stop spitting in your soup now. President Lincoln had an early political rival named Edwin Stanton. He called Lincoln the original gorilla. When Lincoln was elected president, Lincoln chose Stanton to be his secretary of war because he believed he was the best man for the job. At Lincoln's funeral, Stanton said, there lies the most perfect ruler of men the world has ever seen. President Lincoln had learned not to take insults personally. Dale Carnegie visited Yellowstone Park, where he saw a grizzly bear. The huge animal was in the center of a clearing. I'm popping a little bit. might want to turn me down just a smidge. Feeding on some discarded camp food. For several minutes, he feasted alone. No other creature dared draw near. After a few moments, a skunk walked through the meadow toward the food and took his place next to the grizzly. The bear didn't object, and Carnegie knew why. It would have cost that bear too much to get even. A little boy was sitting on a park bench in obvious pain. A man walking by asked him what was wrong. The boy said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. The man urgently asked him, why don't you get up? The boy replied, well, because I figure I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. <laughs> this morning, we are, as, as Pastor Russ said, we're moving into chapter 2. We're covering chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. I hope that... You are enjoying this as you go into your small groups through this. Um, there is such meat in this book, which is by a lot of, uh, a lot of scholars considered Paul's most personable book. Most, his most, he, he's, he's more himself in this letter. He talks more about himself than in any other letter that he wrote in the New Testament. And so there's goodness in there. Um, maybe if you think about it in that light, the next time you read, it'll, you'll be looking for some points that, that maybe you would have missed. Uh, that's what I like to do. I like to think about that because, of course, Paul's the one that wrote, um, what is it? Is it 15 letters in the New Testament? Something like that? A lot. He wrote a lot of them. He was an apostle, and uh, he's speaking, of course, to the Corinthians, the people in Corinth, uh, specifically a church, right, of new believers. And he is an apostle to the church plant. So what that means is that he, he, he and some others began the church plant, and then they would put people in place to lead and to carry on. But then they would check back in again and make sure that the gospel was still the gospel they taught originally, and they would address funk that might be happening in the body. That's, they kept in contact. They kept people growing. He was Papa, essentially, spiritually, spiritually to the church in Corinth. And of course, it's interesting. I love to think about um, the letters that he wrote to the Corinth people because the Christians there were brand new. Church wasn't a thing then, remember? It was in its infancy. So they were walking into uncharted territory. And there were things that Paul was having to correct and address that um, we, we kind of go, well, duh, but back then, they were coming from a culture that knew nothing about Jesus and certainly didn't know how to walk belief in him out. So that, that kind of helps you to kind of understand where we're coming from. And Paul was consistently setting standards for the people that he wrote to in the New Testament on how you live like a Jesus believer. He's talking about kingdom here. Now, today's focus in chapter 2, I'm going to read just a section of it. It, You know, it's such a mishmash, chapter 2 is. I don't know if you found that yet or not. There's a lot of stuff in there. Some of it feels like, ah, I don't know why that's there. And there's others of it that's, so he's touching different things. But I want to specifically hone in on uh, verses 5 through 11. He says this. I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it's time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions." When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Now, we're gonna pivot off of this section of scripture. I'll refer to it a few times, you know, back and forth. But there was, there was such a key here. We have a... Um, We have an attaboy, girl from Paul. He's applauding the Christians in Corinth for some particular things. Number one, for confronting an offense or an issue that was problematic in the church. Okay? And then he's going further to challenge them not to stop there and miss the fullness of what it means to be a kingdom person, right? And... Because, see, Paul knows that kingdom living produces health, growth, maturity, life, the whole nine yards. So, here's what we're going to do this morning. Based on that, I'm going to teach a kingdom SOP, Standard Operating Procedure. Okay? If you do not have the notes, you should grab them because all of my references are on those notes. And um, so, if that's something you're interested in having, uh, those notes are there for you. And I'm going to jump into it. I'm going to move as quickly as possible without cutting too many corners. uh, Because I do feel this is so important. For some of you, this will not be new. But please don't roll your eyes. I will see you. (laughs) I think that there are some times where we need to reiterate core values. And uh, because the fruit of these things makes a difference in how we do life with God and how we do life with other believers and how we do life with unbelievers. I'm going to be talking a lot because Paul is talking about, uh, he's talking about uh, conflict within a believing group of people, but these principles should travel with you wherever you are with whomever you come into contact Okay, so don't just like, oh, I already know this, like, no, um, like, let it settle real deep, okay? I want to kind of, for those of us who've heard this before, I want to kind of like use this rake and kind of rake stuff up just a little bit because the ground's gotten maybe a little hard, and the, speaking from myself first. Um, okay, so let's jump into this. We're going to be talking about, as sons and daughters of the king, there are some standards, that we have to live by. When you say yes to Jesus, it changes your mode of operation, all right? This is kingdom culture, and specifically we're talking about kingdom culture conflict, all right? This is how to handle offenses as Jesus followers, and um, this, by the way, originated from Jesus. Paul didn't construct this himself. This came from Jesus, okay? And we'll talk about that a little, but under, under, under this subject, under SOP for, for Kingdom Culture Conflict, we're going to talk about, one, confronting the, fe- the offense, and two, forgiving the offender. There are two subpoints under that. Again, you have your notes. If you don't, you should get them because um, I'm going to teach this like a class. Um, we have why we forgive and how we forgive. Okay? So now you kind of have the roadmap as to where we're going. We're going to start out in Matthew 18, 15, which is Jesus downloading this kingdom SOP. It says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. (laughs) Here's the the deal. We might not like some of that, but Jesus said it, so we probably can't throw it out. Just saying. A Sunday school teacher had just concluded her lesson and wanted to make sure she'd made her point. She said, "Can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sin?" There was a short pause and then from the back of the room a small boy spoke up. "Sin," he said. The number the first thing that you have to deal with in 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 dealing with these issues is you've got to confront the offense, right? And that's what Paul is saying, you've confronted this situation, good. Now I want you to take it a step further. We're going back to confronting the offense. And the first thing under confronting the offense is you've got to name the offense. Got to name that offense. You need to point it out. Now Matthew 18 says, says, Jesus says, if if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. But uh, there are some cautions here. This requires the fear of the Lord. What do I mean by fear of the Lord? I don't mean be scared that, that God's going to smite you. No, I'm talking about you better have God written all over your need to confront someone. Because if the problem is you, God will not bless that. You had better know that the offense you're fixing to confront isn't your problem and not theirs. Because if it's about you and, and you've just got a beef, God's not gonna bless your digging it up. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I can never repeat what I've said. <laughs> and you know, we wanna think, we would think that the easiest part of this confronting offense is recognizing what the offense is. But because... Our humanity is so involved, I don't think it's that simple. Um, Because it requires humility, honesty, and love in order to do this correctly. Humility, honesty, love. You can learn it the hard way. I've learned it the hard way several times. So maybe if we change our minds today, then, then maybe it'll change the way that this works for us. Um, because if we get back into alignment with the kingdom aspect, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna uh, save ourselves a lot of pain. The first question you should ask regarding the offense is, is this really sin? Is this sin? What's sin? Well, sin is something that takes you off the perfect course that God has you on. It's necessary to point out a sin because it can impact how you're living your life with Jesus. The second question to ask is who's the problem here, them or me? Oh, we don't like this. But I just find that most of the time when I'm offended with somebody, I'm probably the problem. It's really not that big of a deal. I just have some issues to deal with in and of myself. And the third thing is what's my true, true goal here? Remember that Satan's name means both deceiver and divider. You do not want to be a tool for Satan. Sometimes we put on self-righteousness and we think it's our responsibility to point somebody in the right direction and actually that's not what we're doing at all. We're just dividing. And there's where the fear of the Lord comes in. God doesn't take kindly to people who divide the believers. The goal, according to Jesus, is that we win the person back. That's the motive. If the motive that we have in our hearts, if I if I want to if I want to deal, if I want to I want to bring somebody's junk to them. And my, really my main goal is I just want to be right and I want them to know I'm right? That's not winning them back to anything. That's just me and pride. All right, I'm going to move on. Number two, under confronting the offense, privately take to the source. Privately take to the source. Jesus said, go privately and point out the offense. See, kingdom... Confrontation demands, always demands. Now hear me. Kingdom confrontation demands dignity and honor and love. Always. The source should be the first person to know. What do we call it when we go about talking about other people behind their backs? What does God say about gossip, good or bad? See, sometimes we wanna skirt the responsibility of going to the source because we're a little afraid we might be wrong. So we, we circumvene it and, and then we, we kind of like do some back work. Listen, that's wrong. That's wrong. Take it to the source because the source always has the opportunity to speak for him or herself. When you talk about the offense you have with someone else, rather than to that person, you are stealing their voice. You are not giving them the opportunity to say, that's not what I meant. Or, I'm so sorry, forgive me. And instead, the thing gets blown up you got to take it to the source. 2 Corinthians 2, says, verse 1 says, I'm not overstating it, and this is Paul talking about this situation. Listen, when he talks about the man, in most versions, you know, the man who who he wants him to forgive now, he doesn't name who that man is. It was serious enough that he wrote about the situation, but he doesn't name the man. Why? Because he's protecting him. He's protecting his honor and his dignity. The kingdom, kingdom culture is full of honor. It's not petty. And he, he, in fact, in most other versions, in the NASB, Paul refers to this person not even as man or woman, but he says, if anyone. He doesn't, he doesn't even give him a gender. we we actually still do not know who this person was that Paul was referring to today. We don't know if it was the person from 1 Corinthians. A lot of scholars think not. Regardless, Paul covered him so that you and I would not be able to backtalk later on. (laughs) Now, number three, in confrontation, you need to ask leaders for accountability. Now, this is when you've gone to the person solo and you have like this is a this is a real sin meaning this person's spiritual life is in danger or someone else's is. Okay? And you've gone to this person privately, they have neglect they've they've said no. Get out of my face. Whatever that might look like. This is when you go to the leaders and you say, "Listen, um, there's this issue and I, 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 I would like to confront this person again and I need accountability in this. And so I'm just going straight through Matthew 18, what Jesus said to do. He said if they don't receive correction on their own, then you bring, bring leaders. Now, you don't pick people who are your yes people. They don't qualify if they're loyal to you. They're the wrong ones. You want people to go who actually will tell the truth. Even if the truth is, well, actually, you're wrong. You're, you're a little left to center here. You probably need to cool your jets, slow your roll. Those are the people that you take with you. And it doesn't mean an army. It's two or three. And the reason is, there, there are a few reasons. It holds both people, up, both parties accountable, Right? It maintains the other person's dignity again because we're going to be holding the line of integrity. And we're going to make sure we do that because we've got integrous people who are watching this thing, right? They're with us. They are, their heart is for reconciliation. They're not about whose team am I on. They're like, let's get right with God. And then the other thing is that having this kind of accountability prevents your humanity from being unleashed to where you start getting really ticked off or you start getting hurt, upset. You know, these, and, and then you start saying things that you probably shouldn't say. These, these folks that you bring along with you in this situation, they'll, they'll be like, hey, wait, okay, let's pray. Oh, no, 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 calm down. Let's, let's go back. So that the goal is, right, that reconciliation occur, that this one be saved. Now, <clears throat> number four is taking that issue that can't be solved with uh, solo or with accountability, and it's still a major issue. Um, this is when you take it before the church. Now, here in the West, we're not real, we don't see this maybe a lot, or if we have, maybe it's been really ugly. And it's really looked like shame. That is not what Jesus was talking about here. Um, <clears throat> in Mexico, when we were there uh, this, this, this year, uh, we had a situation where we went into this little town called Batacosa. Um, and it was so weird. We get there, and there's nobody there except for an old paint horse I swear, he looked like he was leaning up against a chain link fence. He wasn't, but he looked like he was. Otherwise, there was like nobody out and about. It was just very strange. And um, what had happened was, years ago, um, a a woman had started a church there and this church was vibrant. It was growing, it was healthy, it it was just thriving. And people were coming and they were getting saved and it was just amazing. Years went by, and my understanding of this is that um, she was getting older and she had a son who lived elsewhere. So she decided that what she would do is she would move to be with her son and she would hand the ministry over to one of her sisters. And the sister said, sure, The, the older woman left and man, God breathed on it. And that church continued to grow. But what happened, as often happens, people started getting jealous. And, and I said that incorrectly. The oldest sister who had left got jealous because the people shifted their hearts. And uh, which, by the way, this is happening a lot in churches in America as the boomers are retiring. We're seeing across the board this very same issue. At any rate, the, the younger sister then is, is, is the, 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 the older sister, oldest sister comes back, decides she's going to take back the church. The younger sister is like, you know, oh. and then there was a third sister who sided with the older sister. Anyway, it was a mess. The thing fractured. And now, the situation in Batacosa has been that people don't want to have anything to do with the church, God, Jesus, anything because they have such a bad taste in their mouth because of this unconfronted offense that's going on with these sisters. Now, we didn't know that. Well, we knew some of this, but there was so much we didn't know. We come in and... uh, <laughs> and it was rough. Uh we didn't have the equipment we needed, but anyway, we just soldier on, we had a good time, and I was told I wasn't gonna be teaching, so I scrapped my teaching, and then uh the leader looks at me and says, Hey, I'd like you to teach. <laughs> I was like, I got nothing. Um, and the only thing that could stick it that stuck in my head was I'd come across a verse um in Luke I'm taking too long on this, forgive me. Um, it was about the, this, this, I had missed it, I had missed it, it blew my mind. And Jesus comes into the temple one day and he sees this woman who's been crippled, bent over for 18 years. He touches her, long story short, long story longer, he touches her and heals her. Then of course the Pharisees were like, you people shouldn't be coming here on a Sunday to get healed. And Jesus looks at him and says, you untie your donkeys on a Sunday, don't you? And then he says, so... Um, why is it bad that I, I set loose this daughter of God? By the way, first time any, any women were referred to as daughter of God, just saying. And, and I, this goes through my head, so I say, okay, well, this is what I got, and I, I read the scripture, got Juan Carlos is my translator, and so he translates, and I'm like, okay, well... So I'm thinking maybe, um, maybe there's somebody here that's kind of like that woman. You've been struggling with something that has you maybe even figuratively bent over for many years, and God wants to heal you. Is there anyone here? Crickets. I'm thinking, whew, I missed this one big time. Then, then this older woman stands up from amongst the people, and she comes forward. She's, she, she's not crippled, but you can tell that she's ill. And uh, we pray for her, um, and Nikki prophesies over her. I prophesy over her. I felt like Nikki's prophecy was better than mine. <laughs> I often do. Um, and and I and, and then it was like, okay, come down, sit down. Well, come to find out later. When Nikki stood up to the den give her testimony, God highlighted two women in the crowd. One was a young woman sitting next to the older lady, and then the other one was standing over here. Uh, the young woman ends up getting saved. She gives her life to Jesus. She is the granddaughter, I believe, of the woman that was healed. The other woman is one of the sisters, right? She's one of the three. Now, I, we didn't know who they were, and... This this woman was this older lady who had stood and received healing. There was something about that. I don't get it. I don't get it. I felt like I missed it. Like, just goes to show it's not about you. They were so moved by her encounter with God as she stood there that it broke their hearts. And as we were leaving, Juan Carlos is just thrilled. He's just excited. I'm like, I don't know what you're so excited about. But he says, he says, guess what? The three sisters were all there. That was one of them. And they had decided to reconcile. So they're meeting. Okay. That was kind of a long, long story, but you, you have to understand that uh, confronting the offense is absolutely critical. There can be no, offense or no forgiveness until you confront it. Now, I, I want to tell you something. As a, as a spiritual leader, I mess up all the time. People get mad at me all the time. Unfortunately, very few come to me and tell me about it. I usually hear about it from someone else. Listen, that's not very loving to me. And I'm not talking about chitty-chatting behind my back. That's not, that's not what this is about. How am I supposed to grow and change if you don't tell me where I'm screwing up? Can you please love me enough to confront me with the offense that you see on me so that I can change and, and get straight again? For, for those of you who tend to be a stopping spot for folks who don't want to go to the source, but they want to go roundabout and chit-chat about it, here's what I, I would love to ask you to do. Stop it. If you would say, nope, have you talked to them yet? If the answer is no, then you say, then I, I'm sorry, I can't hear this. I have to stop talking about it because it's not about me. Do you see how there's a requirement of integrity on both ends of this? Actually, on all three. If I'm not integri- integrous enough to say to you, bring these problems to me so that I can make a change, I am not a fit leader. And I need your help. We need each other in the body of Christ. Am I right? Absolutely. Listen, we got, we got to make some changes here because the truth is that God has a huge value for unity. Later on in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19, it talks about this. It says, let me read it to you. Jesus says, I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. This follows after. Get the confrontation done. Make things right. Why? Because there's power when people are unified. See, the one follows the other. We got to get this right, church. There's a world out there that needs to know the truth and the reality of the love of Jesus, and if we can't figure out how to operate in that as a believer body what are we doing this is so critical now we're moving on to another part of this which is forgiving the offender Colossians 3 12 through 15 since God chose you to be the holy people he loves you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy kindness humility gentleness and patience make allowance for each other's faults Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So the first section here is why we forgive. First and foremost, Jesus lived it out. He set the standard. Do you remember the account in the scriptures, uh, it's in John chapter eight, about the adulterous woman? Very clearly caught in the act, okay? And she's brought before Jesus by the Pharisees, right? The spiritual leaders. Um, She is dead wrong, dead wrong. She doesn't even try to defend herself. She's wrong. And Jesus says, well, and they say, well, like, what are you gonna do with this woman? She deserves to be stoned according to Jewish law. And he says, well, whichever of you has never sinned, you can be the first one to throw the rock. Ends up, they all walk away. And he looks at the woman and he says to her, is no one here left to accuse you? And she says, no. And, And then he says, well, neither do I. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Jesus demonstrated active forgiveness all the time. Everyone he came into contact with left forgiven. In fact, it was kind of Jesus' purpose. The ultimate reconciler, right? Number two, first is Jesus demonstrated two why we forgive, because God forgives us in the same measure we forgive others mark 11:25 whenever you stand praying forgive okay so if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions it's literally saying here jesus is literally saying oh you about to pray and get holy you got an offense with somebody you better stop praying go take care of that get that settled bring reconciliation back, forgive, seems to intimate that your prayers are heard differently when you're carrying around the baggage of offense. You remember that parable of forgiveness that Jesus again taught on, and it was about, remember the, this rich guy owed a ton of money to the king, and the king said, oh, I pardon you, I forgive you, whatever. And then there was a slave that owed a pittance to that, that rich man. And the rich man decided he wasn't going to forgive him, and so he has him flogged and put into prison. The king hears about this and says, what the what? No, 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 no. No, no. I forgave you everything. You have to forgive this person. How many of you know that's directed to you and I? Fear the Lord, baby. We gotta operate in the fear of the Lord. There, see, I feel like sometimes what we do is we, we get so wrapped up in our situation, in our circumstance, that we kind of throw some things out that make us uncomfortable. And we kind of we forget Certain things. In this kingdom SOP by which we live, we are required to forgive. There's no no out here because we are forgiven. Jesus demonstrated it. God forgives us in the same measure in which we forgive. And three, forgiveness sets us free. A 12-year-old accidentally killed one of his family's geese. His sister found out about it. He buried the goose because he was afraid of his mom and dad, and there were 24 of them. He figured, he figured, well, if I just bury this one, nobody will know. His sister found out about it, and, and um, she blackmailed him. He had to do dishes, her chore. And one day she said to him, hey, it's your turn to do You better get in there and do the dishes. And she said, no. He says, no, I'm not doing that. And she said, if you don't, I'm going to tell mom and dad. And he said... You do that. I already told her, and she forgave me. I'm free again. Forgiveness sets us free. It's the key that sets us free from that debtor's prison, from, from the parable. It sets us free. See, unforgiveness denies the sacrifice of Christ, and it makes us responsible once again for a debt we cannot afford to pay that's our own transgressions we've got to get to the place where we recognize that when we think that we're locking someone up who has done us wrong because they deserve it and they need to be punished no way am i going to forgive them because that's just going to that's just going to set them loose and you know they're going to do the same bad things again we need to recognize that we get put in the same prison with them it's a cage And that thing is constantly before you. And you are not free. It's the opposite of what we think. That's kingdom for you. Number four forgiveness positively impacts your health. It's funny because this seems like such a silly thing, but there are so many of us who are struggling. Like the older I get, the more I'm like, mm, I think I'm a believer in miracles of healing because I feel like more is hurting as I'm aging which I think is wrong, uh, but anyway, listen to this. According to Johns Hopkins Medicine, forgiveness has a huge impact on your health. Quote, and this is the secular world, whether it's a simple spat with your spouse, long-held resentment toward a family member or a friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news? Studies have found the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels in sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, stress, and research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. Got anything you need to forgive? Maybe that knee will stop bugging you so much. I kind of... I'm kind of like making light of this, and I, I, I don't mean to, it's just these h- topics are so heavy. One of the first things that we do in deliverance and inner healing, which is spiritual healing, is, is we ask the person that's really struggling, is there any, anything that you need to forgive? Anyone in your life you need to go back and forgive? Because it, that can actually cause a, a malady in your body, And yeah, it manifests physically, you have physical pain, but there's a spiritual connotation to it. And a lot of times, it's an issue of unforgiveness. That's why it's one of the first things that you ask. So, you know, uh, Matthew 18 um, says, uh, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever is, actually the way it's written is whatever is bound in, in heaven will be bound on earth. Whatever is loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. And it's talking about uh, keeping your ear to the heart of God and saying, like, is there, am I bound because there's something in my past I need to let go of? And that's how you get freedom. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. Many times, if you have a hang-up, there might be something behind it that requires some spiritual action. Does that make sense? You're very quiet. Okay. Number five. We forgive because unforgiveness leads to bitterness that impacts kingdom expansion. You can refer to Hebrews twelve fourteen and 15 that talks about pursuing peace um, and that's the one that talks about not letting a root of bitterness spring up and defile many. Now bitterness comes out of unforgiveness, always. That's what it comes out of. Um, there is this account that I came across. Um, there was a revival that this, this group of people had been praying for, this church had been praying for for so long, and they really wanted God to show up. And uh, what the problem was, that the community was divided. And so this is the same kind of scenario that we saw in Mexico. It just occurred to me that I told the wrong story in that place. I hate it when I do that. Well, there's no fixing it now. So let's just move the Mexico story to here. (laughs) You get my point. You know, here's the thing when you're dealing in real time is that there's no... Okay, start again. Um, what I wanted to say about the... About that story went in the wrong place because we were talking about going before the church with an offense. You, we are never afraid to go before family with our offenses. We'll sit down with our family and we'll let them have it. I'm not saying that's healthy. What I am saying is that church has to be a family-like environment where if someone is going super south, you gather them up in love and you say, listen, we as a body want to support you into health and freedom from this, this, this thing that you're dealing with, okay? That's what I meant to say. Okay, <laughs> thanks, thanks so much. Okay, I'm gonna skip that story, okay. So we've got why we forgive, now let's get on to how we forgive. Because sometimes we talk about forgiveness, it sounds like, at least to me, this nebulous thing, and I'm not really sure exactly what it looks like. Right? I don't know if you feel that way. I do. Okay, the first thing thing that we can do, and these are options. Number one is self-evaluate in this issue of forgiveness. And what do I mean by that? Well, the question is, has God forgiven me? I could say if the answer is yes, then proceed to forgiveness Um, because we've all been forgiven. All of us, we we have all been forgiven. This is kind of a repeat. But here's where I want to take it it a little bit differently with this one. One of the ways that we walk out forgiveness is by coming before God and repenting. Repenting is not, I'm going to tell you all of my sins and I'm going to feel really sad about it and cry. That's not repentance. Repentance literally means making a turn. A turn from what? From one king that is deposed to another king who is Jesus. See, when we hang on to forgiveness, we give all of our attention to uh, to a rule in our life that is not of God. So we need to get right with God. We need to say something like this. Man, God, I have been hanging on to this offense I sort of, I, I, I just, I, I know it's wrong. I've been focusing on, uh, focusing on it rather than you. And, and Father, I forgive me, I, I don't want to be this way. I, I want to grow. I, I want to I feel you move in my life. I want you to use me to set others free. God, I, I want to be all that you want me to be. And so forgive me and help me, God. You are my king. That's repentance. See, we think, we actually think that when we carry an offense and we refuse to forgive, that we have the upper hand. Because we have the right, right? There are a lot of unforgivable things that happen. But that's not the truth at all. We actually now are bringing honor to a lesser God Number two, how we forgive, we war in the opposite spirit. Okay, so I found this story of a duck hunter. It was a couple of them in Georgia. They were out duck hunting in the middle of nowhere. All of a sudden, they look to the horizon, and there's a brush fire coming. And they know, ain't no way we're getting out of this. What do they do? One picks out of his backpack, picks up his lighter, and they begin to light the ground, the brush all around them. What do we call that? Backfire. Backfire. And so what happens then is that when the brush fire comes, it doesn't overwhelm them. They actually were able to survive. It's called fighting fire with fire. I like to call it warring in the opposite spirit. And what do I mean by that? Well, we gotta stop the burn of bitterness with the fire of Holy Spirit. One of the most practical ways that we can do that is by saying god what do you say over this person like we've said i want to forgive great this is walking it out what does it look like stop cursing them stop it active forgiveness can take some work and it can take some time it's a reframing of your mind right What does God say that about that person? You begin to speak these things over them. You are igniting a backburn of blessing through the revelation of Holy Spirit. You carry that in your backpack, so to speak. Are you using it? You should be. I should be. Number two is stop complaining about them, especially. I'm, I'm talking with regard, especially to fellow Christians. Did you know there's a verse in Romans 14 that says, who are you to condemn somebody else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Because God's invested in their health and their wholeness. He doesn't need you to gripe and bellyache and complain about them. If you find yourself constantly going to God and saying, God, change this person, you are complaining about his servant. Stop. Stop. It's not going to change the circumstance. Typically what I've found is that when I have a problem with somebody else it's because something needs to change in me. I can't change them. I can only address me. We got to war in the opposite spirit. We got to stop this. Number 3, actively remember to disremember. Claire Burton who is a founder of the American Red Clo- uh, Cross was reminded one day of a vicious deed someone had done to her years before. <laughs> she acted as though she'd never even heard of the incident. The lady said, don't you remember it? And Clara said, no, came Barton's reply, I distinctly remember forgetting it. We always have choice. We have choice, it's the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that God gave to us. Even, even in choosing him, we have the choice. Sometimes we need to stop. You know, we, we, I've kind of mentioned this before. We have these neural pathways in our brain. And the more we think certain thoughts, the stronger those pathways become. So the more you think about that person that did you wrong, the, the more easy it is for you to think of them in that way again. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. At a certain point, we have to stop the madness. We have to stop this roll toward, ah, oh, huge, never going to forgive. And we have to change the way that we're thinking. Literally, we change the way that we're thinking. And you choose to say, listen, I'm not going to beef with them anymore. God, this, this belongs to you. Thank you, God. These are so interconnected, these points, and I, I do recognize this, Second Corinthians ten five says, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, taking every thought captive. Listen, we have a responsibility and a call to take our thoughts captive. Yes. Do you know what that means? That means stop imagining conversations where you're the hero and you smash that person. We all do it. We're like, you know, just give me five, five minutes. This is exactly what I'd say. And we rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it. And the offense gets more and more cemented in our brains. This isn't even about spiritual stuff. That thing becomes so big, you have a giant living in your brain. And it has a name and a face and a scenario. It's time to slay the giant. You are cheating yourself so long as you keep feeding that monster. And you are not helpless. I hope you're hearing that. You are not helpless. Take every thought captive to Christ Jesus. There's, I have one more point here, and I promise you that uh, we, will, we will close today. But I, I want you to hang in here. I want you to hang in here with me because I've, I've got a story that goes along with this. Whenever you cover as a, as, a, as a teacher or as a speaker or whatever whatever the heck I am, you are getting one snapshot of, of, of a teaching on a particular area. It, it doesn't cover everything. It doesn't cover everyone. There's no way. There's no way that can happen in half an hour, 45 minutes. It just doesn't work that way. My concern is always in people um, feeling as though they've been generalized, as though I'm not thinking about you. Obviously, I'm I'm not perfect and I can't think about everybody, but throughout the, the, the construction of this teaching, I just kept hearing the voice of someone saying, but you have no idea what happened to me. You have no idea the hell I've lived through. You have no idea how evil this was. So what I'm saying to you could sound really glib and it could be really ticking you off. You can come to me with your offense later. But seriously, my heart and my intention is is not to gloss over something serious. But here's the hard thing. See, the truth is, I've never experienced abuse. I've never experienced anyone perpetrating against my person in any way, as as far as physically, mentally, emotionally. I have never experienced um, sexual abuse. I've never experienced, you know what I'm saying? And I recognize that that is not normal for most people. It's not normal. It's kind of like somebody, I said this this week and I don't ever want to be accused of this. Somebody came up to me once and said uh, after my daughter died that they knew what I was going through because their dog died. Now, but wait a second. According to them, that was the biggest pain they'd ever experienced. Pain is pain, right? But I don't want to be that one that comes to you and says, well, you know, sure, like whatever. I, d- I, just don't want, I just don't want to be that person. I am mindful of the fact that there are atrocities that have happened to people in this room that I can't even fathom. I am never going to tell you that I know what you've gone through. I'm not even going to pretend. That would be a lie. I don't know. The, the hard part about this is that this principle, this kingdom Principle of forgiveness still applies to you. Oh, that's hard. Because, you see, God loves you so much. He does not want you to live a life imprisoned by the wrong that has been done to you. He is for your freedom. i just need for you to hear my heart on this there's nothing in the bible that says well you 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 only forgive up to a certain point it's not in there we have to forgive with that in mind i want to tell you this i've i've actually talked about this before and many of you probably are aware of corey Tenboon. Um, this is my favorite story because none of us, I don't believe anyway, any of us in this room have ever experienced what Corrie Ten Boone went through in the concentration camps during World War II. Um, she was from Holland and she was taken captive. Um, her family had been sheltering Jews and keeping them safe. They were discovered and uh, they were taken to concentration camps. Um, let me just, many, it says uh, her family members, uh, died in captivity, and interestingly enough, Corey's faith survived and thrived even. And in the post-war, she spent a lot of years traveling around in Germany and other parts of Europe sharing her faith in Christ. Now, I'm going to read this because I don't want to get this wrong. Her sister, Be- um, Betsy, was her, her best friend. Both of them were single and they still lived at home. That's what you did in those days. And her sister died in in the concentration camp. And just keeping that in mind, okay? On one occasion in 1947, while speaking in a church in Munich, she noticed a balding man in a gray overcoat near the rear of the basement room. She'd been speaking on the subject of God's forgiveness, but her heart froze within her when she recognized the man. She could picture him as she had seen him so many times before, in his blue Nazi uniform with a visored cap, the cruelest of the guards at Ravensbrück camp, where Corey had suffered the most horrible indignities and where her own sister had died. Yet here he was, at the end of her talk, coming up the aisle toward her with his hand thrust out. "'Thank you for a fine message,' he said. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Yes, Corrie had said that. She had spoken so easily of God's forgiveness, but here was a man whom she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. She couldn't take his hand. She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. She realized this man didn't remember her. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands? You mentioned Ravensbrück, the man continued, his hand still extended. I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It has been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things I did, but I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips too that God has forgiven me. And Corey re- recorded her response in her book, quote, I stood there, I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand-held out, but to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and the warmth raced down my arm and sprang into our our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You know, it makes me think of another sufferer. We've kind of um, hinged our faith on him. His name is Jesus. And when he was hanging on the cross, being murdered, tortured, humiliated for things that were completely unjustified, he said, Father, forgive them. He would not have said that if he had not already forgiven them. You have this unique opportunity in your life today where you can choose to continue moving forward as a victim in chains called unforgiveness. Or you can say, "Today's the day. Today's the day I finally get free. Today is the day. I change everything. Today's the day. Man, I, I just feel so strongly that God is invested in this. I feel like there are people here you are here today because this message is just for you. I can't take any credit for that. God's the one. He's so invested in you. He loves you so much. He's tired of you being robbed. There is a deceit that says if I continue on in forgiveness or in unforgiveness, I have the upper hand. And nobody gets free unless I tell them they're forgiven. It's a lie. It is a lie. Until you let go and you allow God to do what only he can do, you are still associated with that thing. It will still dog you. It will still haunt you. It will still call your name. And it will impact how you perceive the things around you. God's calling his people to walk in health, wholeness, and maturity. Do you want to grow? You know, I I didn't say this earlier, and and I I don't know why I didn't. (laughs) Let me ask you some questions. Do you feel stuck in your relationship with Jesus? Do you feel like people around you hear him and you don't? No matter what, it just feels like, ugh. Or maybe... Maybe you, you feel like you've just, you're in a spot where you're not hearing him like you usually do. Would you say that you are not hearing Holy Spirit right now? You don't have to say anything out loud. Do you find it difficult to want to pursue the things of God? Do you feel like, the, the, like you think about getting together with Jesus followers like in a small group or just reading your Bible praying, whatever. Do you feel like that is the most difficult thing right now that you could ever tackle? There is a huge possibility that the reason why you're feeling so disconnected is because God's calling you to go back to this place and to address some things then to forgive so that you can see again. He's invested in your freedom because he loves you. Nobody loves you like him. Here's what I'd like to do. I we're going to play some some music that's just contemplative. I felt like I needed to pre-, pre I needed to provide a place where you could sit a while with Jesus. I often say that once you know a thing, you can't unknow it. It belongs to you. It is now your responsibility. It's not like it's like seeing a, a, a little puppy on the street. When you see that thing and you pick it up, it's your responsibility. There's some things that God has laid down this morning. It, they belong to you now. What are you going to do with them? What I'd like you to do is just, just close your eyes and I'm going to ask these these. Questions again, kind of a repetition, but just hang with me and listen, you get out of this what you put into it. It's, I, it, it's not gonna change my, my day if you choose not to take hold of this. Go ahead and close your eyes. The Bible says that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, which means he's right here right now, right with you. I want you to just take, this to sound silly, but just bear with me. Take a minute to picture where he's at right now and what he looks like. Just just bear with me. He's right here with you. He's invested in what's happening right now. Where are you in your relationship with him? Where are you at? Do you feel stalled out? And as you're sitting there and Jesus is with you, like maybe he's got his arm around you and he's like, tell me your story, man. I, I love you. I want to hear what's on your heart. You can, this is your time to take this to him and talk about it. Yeah, God, I, I just, I do. I feel like you're nowhere. Maybe you're, you've got a chronic illness and you've had so much prayer and I'm not saying like this is the answer every time, but is there something that's dogging you? And you would say, like, I just, I, th- I feel like I'm in torment. I, I, I have trouble hearing the things that you're saying to me, Jesus. I know you're always speaking. I know that you love me as much as you love anyone else. And yet I feel like you don't. Now I'm gonna ask Holy Spirit right now Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind a person, an event, whatever it is that might be in the way. Not all of you are going to get something. That's okay. Or would you just tell him, Jesus, I give you permission to bring this thing to mind. I want to be honest with you right now. Now's the time. Some of you already know. This is... This is your opportunity for freedom. Have you, is this a a, a thing where you know you need to bring godly confrontation, not accusation? If you ever point your fingers at somebody, you're in the wrong, stop. Maybe, Maybe your situation is not one where confrontation is possible. There are those incidents. But if yours is a situation where you know you could go and make it right and you refuse to do it, that's what we're talking about right now. Maybe you feel completely justified in your position. The world would say that you are. But this thing is dogging you. Jesus, I need help with this. Have you come to the place where it's not about the confrontation it's about the second piece arguably the hardest part forgiving And Jesus you can you can kind of feel him kind of nudging you going yeah yeah you you're, you you know that one sweetie it's time brother it's time If you continue to hang on to this for the rest of your life, you are not free to take hold of me. I so want that for you. Here's what I'd like you to do as you're, as you're sitting there. You can, you can do it quietly, you can do it out loud. It doesn't matter to me. You get gold stars if you say it out loud. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You need to say with your mouth, Jesus, I've been wrong here. I am harboring this offense and I have been refusing to forgive because of all of these things. And I recognize this morning as you're speaking to me that this is wrong, that I have to stop, that it is killing me. And it is time. The mud stops here, right here with me today. Jesus, forgive me, help me. And now, this is when you, you're gonna give that person, that situation, by name, to Jesus who's sitting there. You know, there's a, there's a verse in Psalm fifty five twenty two, and it says, cast your cares on me. He cares. This isn't just a bunch of hoopla. Would you give that thing to him by name? It might sound something like this, Jesus, I have held this offense against Joe. And I have refused to let it go. I have not wanted to forgive them, but I recognize that it's time. Here's the thing, God, I don't think I can do it without you. I, 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 I have some tools to walk it out with, God, but I haven't had the will to want to. Would you change my heart right now, Holy Spirit? I don't want to leave this place the same way that I came into it. I, I, I recognize that you are standing before me and you're saying, just give me your baggage. Give me your bags. You don't need that anymore. It's too heavy for you. Give them to me. And so, God, I I give that to you. I I, I give this thing to you. And, God, I trust you. I don't get this, but I trust you, God. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray that there would be this, this sense of lightness that comes right now as this surrender happens in the house as your people are stepping into freedom they've never known before in their whole entire lives, that gives them an aspect of your character they've never understood. You love us so much that your first response was forgiveness. And it cost you greatly. God, we wanna be like you would you set us back into order this morning, Holy Spirit? And I ask, God, that, that there would be fruit that is born, like supernatural things that happen for individuals this week they never could have organized, phone calls, opportunities to speak that they've never had before, a closeness where they feel the, the intimacy of your presence, saying, listen, this is how we walk it out, good job. Keep going, keep going, keep going. You're gonna get it. You're gonna get free. Listen, you're in the midst of walking this out. It's gonna be okay. Father, we, we wanna be a people that has clear vision of who you are and how you are and what you do and where you move And when you talk, and we we just don't want to miss anything, God. We don't want to miss any of it. Thank you for this word of hope. Thank you, God, for including in in this book these teachings that, that are still relevant today, that have been reiterated throughout the New Testament for new believers saying, Listen, you have a plan. You can do this, and we thank you, Father. We thank you. I I just feel like there's a kind of a holy hush on the house, and I don't want to interrupt that. For those of you who um, need to go, please go. At at, but but do so quietly and reverently. I. I wanna challenge you that if someone here in this body keeps coming up and that you are mindful of them, it might just be that you need to lay your hand on them and just say, listen, I love you, I'm praying for you. Bless you.